What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. The first reveal of the top and bottom 10 in the NFL Power Rankings. Plus, what to make of what we've seen so far in the MLB playoffs. And previewing the NHL as the season gets started this week. You're listening to episode 89 of Let Me Speak. Let's get it started. Cue that intro. Let me speak. Hey, hey, what is going on, everybody? We're coming to you here on Tuesday, October 10th, 2023 for the 89th edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And I know I've said this multiple, multiple times, and even though we had a year plus off, I cannot thank everyone for the support for this podcast as we're getting closer and closer to episode number 100. And that is going to be a landmark one. I'm definitely going to pull out all the stops for that one. Don't you worry. I'll try to just get that countdown going. So this is 89. We're getting to 100. So we're almost in the single digits of episodes. So let's uh, let's keep that train going as here in Swamp Scott, again, feeling like fall. It's definitely cold out there. I had to bust out uh, the old sweatshirt and sweatpants. Had to put away the shorts. Uh, all the summertime weather, which was kind of like a Kind of like a mini funeral, kind of like saying goodbye to the season or whatever. I mean, maybe I'll pull those shorts again if I ever decide to work out, <laughs> which is a it's kind of a stretch right now. But um, it's definitely it's definitely fall. It's a little bit cold out there. The sun at least has been shining. It's out. Obviously, it's not out right now as I look out my window. It's just nothing but overcast skies. But at least it's a little bit brighter, um, which is what I could say about the NFL and a couple of teams in particular as uh, each week since I've come back uh, from a time off for the NFL, I've been looking at each game and I've kind of, you know, five weeks in a couple of teams have had uh, four games already. Most of the league, I should say had four games, only a handful of teams uh, had a bye. Um, and I thought there. I think five weeks is good enough to sort of set a foundation for, for what we're looking at. So right here, I'm going to debut our first ever power rankings list. Now, the way this works is I've got two separate lists. I've got one that shows you the top 10 teams, in my personal opinion, in the NFL. And then after we do that list, we'll do the bottom 10 power rankings or the bottom rankings, weaker rankings, whatever kind of opposite of power you want to put in there. And that is where I'll list the 10 worst teams in the NFL and who's basically on par to probably get a top 10 draft pick. That's essentially what the list is. So I thought we'd start on a positive note and look at the top 10 teams in the NFL. This edition being week five, the very first one we're doing. So we'll go in reverse order from 10 to one. And for number 10, I this is going to be surprising to a couple of people. But I think the Seahawks, I think the Seahawks, even though they were on a bye this week, I think from what I've been saying about Seattle over and over is that it's all about Geno Smith. And I hate to say it, but I think Geno Smith has showed enough 
uh, in the footage that I've seen that, you know, this is not the same old Gino that we saw on the Jets or being the backup to Russell Wilson, anything like that. I think this is a new guy. This is a new quarterback. And I like where the offense is. It's a very underrated offense. They've got a great young running back in Kenneth Walker. And then, of course, you have a pretty good receiving core, I would say, uh, with Tyler Lockett, with DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, just to name a few. And the defense is getting better. It's not great, but it's getting better. I thought they made a, a great pick uh, in this past draft to get uh, the cornerback Witherspoon. I thought that's a really, I thought that was a good pick, especially seeing him on that Monday night game against the Giants uh, and really that whole Seattle uh, defense, the way they have been playing. I think they're getting better, but they're not going to be the Legion of Boom defense. Don't, I mean, yes, Bobby Wagner is still there and he's the last hope for that, but there's no one you can say where this is going to be the Legion of Boom defense. I think this is a good team, not a great team, but I think they're the 10th best team in uh, the NFL. And maybe that could change, you know, maybe they could fall out uh, if they lose to the Bengals next week. Cause they got to go to Cincinnati and Cincinnati's looking like their old selves again. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, moving on to number nine. This is, I will say the back half got a little bit tricky, but for number nine, I'm going to put the Ravens in there at three and two. And really they probably would have been higher if they knocked off uh, the Steelers this week. But Again, it's Lamar Jackson and his throwing. It can help the team, but it can also hurt Baltimore. And we saw it in the fourth quarter in Pittsburgh. A costly interception in the end zone uh, gave the Steelers the drive to go take the lead. Then he had a fumble as well, which set up a field goal, which made it 17-10. to 10. So Lamar just, again, he's he's a good quarterback. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers right here. 22-38 for 236 and a pick and he which is not what you're looking for that's not what you're looking for I mean he yes he's an incredible rusher I mean he had 45 yards and he only rushed six times which I think is progress it's progress from uh John Harbaugh and the rest of the Baltimore coaching coaching staff to tell him you don't have to run on every single one we need your arm we need the throwing game the passing game much better now, to be fair, those 45 yards were only three less than the leading rusher, Gus Edwards, but Gus Edwards got it on 12 carries. So it's really two things that are working against Baltimore right now. It's Lamar Jackson's throwing and just the injuries that they just continue to pile up in the run game. I did say a couple of weeks ago, injuries are what will cost Baltimore the most, but really, however far they go is however far Lamar Jackson's arm will be. because. A playoff caliber quarterback can't be throwing for only 236 yards and a pick. He's got to do much more than that as a thrower. You need that from your quarterback. And really, they need this get-right game in London. When they go, when they travel over to England to take on the Titans, they need it. They need it, they need it, they need it. And if they drop this game, I mean, the question's got to start. Even though they're 3-3 three and three, and it's a really competitive AFC North with them, the Steelers, the Bengals, questions have got to be asked because can they make that wild card and can they be healthy as well? That's the big thing. So Baltimore sitting at number nine, number eight, I'm going to go with the Jaguars here at three and two. And I think last week really did it for me when they beat the bills in London, 25 to 20. Now they might be a little bit higher on the list 
if they hadn't already had a week in London. So I, I kind of put that one with a little bit of an asterisk on that, uh, you know, because they might need to move the rest of their season to London to have a such a strong record. But yeah, the Bills who traveled to London and were still getting used to that time zone and that time area, Jacksonville was already there for like two weeks. So, I mean, I've, I don't discredit Jacksonville, but I don't credit them as much. Um, what I will say, though, about Jacksonville, whether they're in the States or whether in, they're in London, they've got a tremendous offense. I think Doug Peterson, the way he shaped that roster, I think it's probably the most underrated offense out there. Because when you look at what they did with Buffalo, they got over 470 yards total. They got 136 on the ground and also got two scores from Travis Etienne. So you have him in the backfield. You've got a, a slew of targets uh, for Trevor Lawrence in Calvin Ridley who's reestablishing himself, Christian Kirk, who's always uh, reliable. You have a healthy Zay Jones who caught a touchdown, and then maybe one of the better tight ends, at least top 10 in my opinion, in Evan Ingram. So the fact that Trevor Lawrence with that crew went 25 of 37 for 315, a touchdown. Yes, he was sacked five times. That I really saw more on the offensive line. I think the Jaguars have really righted the ship. Because, I mean, really, when you look at what they've done so far, their two losses were against the Chiefs, probably the AFC favorites right now, and then the Texans, who they've always had trouble with, always have history. Those aren't two significant losses, I would say. I think there would be concern if they lose this week to the Colts, because I think the Colts are really a fraud 3-2 and two kind of team. They're now switching quarterbacks. They're going from Richardson, who's out, to now Gardner Minshew. Um, so that's the next couple of weeks will really tell the story. But I do think that this Jaguars team is very, very a strong candidate to sort of right the ship and keep their winning ways going. That's why I see it. Number eight, number seven, I struggled with this one and number six, but for number seven, I'm going to go with the Detroit lions sitting at four and one. I know what you're thinking. Why are they higher or whatever? Let's put it like this. They lost to the Panthers and the Panthers are winless. All right. It was 42, 24. Yes, it was dominant, but it was the Panthers. Keep that in mind. And hey, I'll admit it, I thought Jared Goff was going to be a total bust, and he was absolutely done in the league after being traded from the Rams. Now when you look at him in the statistical category, he's top 10 almost everywhere in yards, in touchdowns, and fewest picks. Uh, I, I think Jared Goff really is the one driving this because he sort of takes on the mantra of Dan Campbell being like, oh, we're a bunch of outcasts. No one's believing in us. Now they've turned the corner and they've got these big expectations. Now, what they do next week against Tampa, I don't know. I think I would favor them because, I mean, yes, they won 42-24, but they also did it without their top receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't know how healthy he is, if he's going to be back uh, in time for this game. But I think for the Lions, they have the capabilities to do it. It's just defensively, how will they be able to shut down Baker Mayfield and the Bucks? who are just coming off of a bye week. I would take, if I if I had to guess, I haven't seen any spreads in Vegas, I would say the Lions are favored, but I would take the Bucks and the points uh, if I was a betting man, if I took this thing to Vegas and went on DraftKings or FanDuel. I would take the Bucks uh, at least points-wise, but I think either team could win. I think really either team could win that one. Because, I mean, the Bucks are like, to me, a fringe top 10 right now. They're like 11th or 12th. They were just on a bye weekend. You know, 
Baker Mayfield has had some down years, or at least last year he had down year. And I know I'm a believer in him. I've said it over and over. I'm a big believer, but at least against the really good teams like Detroit or uh, Philly or any of these top teams, I would love to see how they do there. So that's why I'm putting the Lions at number seven. And I said I struggled with number six and number seven. That's because I have the Cowboys sitting at number six. And yes, they looked lifeless against San Francisco. Um, but it's San Francisco, okay? Just like with the Lions and the Panthers, uh, the Cowboys and the Niners. The Niners absolutely steamrolled 42-10. to 10. Dak Prescott looks completely pedestrian. Three picks in that game. I think he only had 150 yards passing. Um, Cowboys look completely overmatched. And everyone, you know, started to take that cheese. They continue to take it year after year. Oh, they're playing really good. This is their time. This is their time. You got to remember Dallas lost to Arizona, too. I know the Cardinals are scrappy, but they lost to them. And then you have this game where you have your doors blown off. I mean, if they, for some reason, I mean, it really depends, at least for me in these rankings, next week, Monday Night Football against the Chargers, how they do there. Even if they win and it's close, they have to get it, like, on a last play, any kind of, like, you know, within a touchdown or something like that then I might need to move them back in this list. But I need to see real strong, convincing wins and not the fact that they continue to pee down their leg in these big-time matchups. And maybe the Chargers are a big-time matchup. I don't know. But L.A. is coming off a bye week. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see with with Dallas if they can stay where they are. Uh, Getting into the top five, I think this one might be a little bit controversial. I put the Dolphins fifth right now at four and one similar to the lions their opponents have been a little weak recently they've beaten the patriots they put 70 on the dolphins uh they just won against the giants 31 16 now they've got the panthers this week i did say that they're still the most dynamic and explosive offense in the league and i still believe that i still believe that but i need to see bigger games like their single loss against buffalo are they going to do that every single time? So I want to see them against really, really good teams. I still think they are a contending team, but you have to keep in mind that now Devin Achain, the basically breakout running back of the season right now, he's he's gone for a couple of weeks for Miami. But luckily, they have pieces to fill in, like Raheem Mostert, like a Jeff Wilson, and they have speed all around. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. They just got Claypool. I'm not sure how much of a factor he'll be, but they're still a very explosive offense. It's more on the defensive side. I mean, if you're for a struggling Giants offense, you give them 16. I'm not I'm not concerned, but I would definitely raise an eyebrow to that for sure. And that's why the Dolphins are at five, just because of the weak schedule that they have. Uh, number four, though, I'm going to go to the Bills. You know, like I said, uh, when I was talking about the Jaguars, the Bills having to go to London. Well, Jacksonville was already two weeks in uh, over in England. I don't put too much on the Bills, but I will say the lack of a run game from this past Sunday concerns me. That's one of the things that, that concerns me. The fact that they only got 29 rushing yards uh, total from their team and 14 came from their quarterback. And similar to Lamar Jackson, but kind of in a reverse kind of way. You don't need Josh Allen doing everything. You need to give him some support. And we saw what happened on Sunday. 27 of 40, 359 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. 
he can't be doing everything. He needs to get a run game going for sure. Okay, that's concern number one. Concern number two, the defense just continues to get banged up. Just add a few more uh, to that hospital room. Matt Milano, out. Daquan Jones, out. And keep in mind, they're already missing. Shaq Lawson, Tredavious White, and Greg Russo. I mean, yes, you do get Von Miller, but he's still an older guy coming off a significant knee injury. So that's those are my two concerns. Still no running game, and the defense is banged up. I mean, luckily, they get a nice little breather uh, when they play on a Sunday night football against the Giants. They'll be back home. They'll host a really bad team. Um, so I think this is a good get-right game, and I would still predict them to bounce back and come away with that victory. Uh, number three, as we get into the top three, this is really uh, the meat and potatoes, at least for me, of the true Super Bowl contenders. And number three right now, I'm going with the Chiefs right now. I'm going with the defending champs at 4-1, and one, winning over the Vikings 27-20. to 20. And I, I've said for years and years and years that the only thing that gives me concern uh, about Kansas City is the lacking defense. It's not a stellar defense, but it's a serviceable defense. It still continues to be a question against elite offenses. Now, granted, the Vikings are not a good team, but they still have an elite offense with elite weapons. If you have Justin Jefferson... Uh, and TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison, just to name a few names uh, on that Vikings offense. When you have those elite players with above average talent, I mean, it's hard for Kansas City to try and stop them. It really, really is hard. Um, you know, another concern would be Travis Kelsey. Again, he gets hurt. Uh, it was a low ankle sprain, they said, uh, and he did return to the game, but Again, not 100%. And I've said for weeks and weeks now that Mahomes without Kelsey is really gut check time. How well is Mahomes as a creator? Because he's not like Tom Brady, where he doesn't have any weapons and he can make them uh, look elite. And he can still carry the Patriots to 11 or 12 wins on the year. Mahomes hasn't done that yet. Okay. And speaking of Mahomes, those that's another thing. Only 67 yards rushing against Minnesota. Pat Mahomes threw it 41 times. That's that's quite a bit. I mean, any other quarterback, I would be concerned. But with Patrick Mahomes throwing 41 times, I'm totally okay with that. Um, but really at the forefront, for, for me at least, is Juwan Taylor on the offensive line. Keep this in mind. Juwan Taylor has had nine penalties called against him, which is by far the most in the league. You know who's in second place? Um, I, I won't give you a name, but I can tell you the second place number is six. Juwan Taylor has three more penalties called against him than the next closest guy in the league, okay? And this was supposedly supposed to be one of these big signings. That's a revelation, uh, getting him from Jacksonville. Then you have Donovan Smith as well. You signed him over from Tampa. And again, it's the same offensive line struggles now long term i don't see an issue i see them running into the playoffs probably getting that top seed i have no issues with that it's when you get to the championship games and the super bowl where that could be a concern so no immediate issues for the chiefs these are more are these are more long-term issues and it's probably going to be the same thing when they absolutely destroy the denver broncos on thursday night football which is what i fully expect to happen uh, this is where it gets really tricky here. Number two, 
I think you got to go with the Eagles this one. One of two undefeated teams. And by the way, spoiler alert, the other undefeated team is the last team who's number one right now. Um, I'm still going on the record of that. They are not the same dominant team that they were last year. I mean, when you look at a team like the Rams, who you're, yes, you're going on the road. You'd think you'd beat them by two touchdowns or two touchdowns and a field goal. But it was only 23 to 14. I mean, they had to get two field goals from Jake Elliott to really put this thing away. The fact that they're not as dominant as they were a year ago does make me a little bit concerned. I mean, the offense still is going to be great. They're still averaging, I think, over 400 yards a game. They're top five in points per game. But they just sometimes they just continue to get stalled out. You know, offensively, they've only converted 42% a success rate in the red zone. Keep in mind, last year they were at 68%, uh, which was the third best in the league. Then also on the defensive side, you have the seventh worst pass defense. And it's a defense, remember last year, that they had guys who were sort of disruptors and could really force the turnovers. They've only got nine takeaways so far uh, this season compared to 27 in 2022 and now the team is without Fletcher Cox one of their strong defensive linemen um so there's still con- some concern with the Eagles but as of right now I can't put them as the uh, NFC favorites just because they're not as dominant as they were a year ago now if they can do it against the Jets maybe they can write that ship and get back to that dominant way but if they're you know letting the Jets hang around a little bit again still a big concern at least on uh, my side of things and number one, this is no question right here. Number one has to be the 49ers right now as they look phenomenal right now. All right, Dallas, the Cowboys were really their first big test and they absolutely aced it. And I mean aced it. 42 to 10, they won. 420 yards of offense, forcing four turnovers. I mean, they've got it all. They've got it all. And you got to keep in mind, George Kittle. Uh, grabbed all three touchdowns last year uh, for San Fran, or he had three touchdowns on three receptions. You know what he had coming into the game before Sunday? 14 receptions for 48 yards. So he just came them all back right there. Um, and not only that, but I just continue to be amazed at Brock Purdy, how well he has played. He's got the best passer rating in football, 12 points higher than Tua Tugavailoa, who's in second place. And not just in the here and now, but what he's done since he's come to play as a starter in games, he started, he's 12 and one in the games that he started and finished. He's undefeated. And he's also undefeated in the regular season, his career numbers, 22 touchdown passes, three on the ground and only four career interceptions. I mean, what Brock Purdy has done to enhance this Kyle Shanahan offense is just unreal. And I mentioned the defense again, They're the third best overall, second best in the rush. They've allowed the fewest points per game. I mean, I'll just, if I've said it once, I'll say it again. They are the Super Bowl favorites. They are right now my pick to win the Super Bowl. I think they are the best team in football. They've got the most weapons in football. They've got the best offense, the best defense. They've got it all. They've got it all through five weeks. They are without a doubt. It should not be any question that they are the best team in football right now. So that's on the positive side of things. Now we got to turn to the negative side of things uh, because we'll get to the bottom 10 now. And again, reverse order, 10 to 1. Starting at number 10, 
I kind of struggled with this one a little bit, but I think after last night, I have to put the Green Bay Packers in there at two and three, losing to the Raiders, uh, 17 to 13. And yes, they do luckily get a bye uh, this upcoming week. But really, as I've said, it's about Jordan Love. It's really about Jordan Love. He's just not there yet. I've seen, I saw a couple of throws. He had some sidearm passes. He was able to scramble down uh, the field. So the potential is there. But keep in mind, this is only his uh, fifth game as a full-time starter, his sixth game starting overall. So it's going to take some time as well. And A.J. Dillon did a great job to help him out in the run game. I said before that he's just not a full number one. You can't rely on him all the time. So that's why you were hoping and praying that Aaron Jones came back. Um, But if they can upgrade their receiving room uh, and their offensive line, I think they can get back to where they once were. Maybe not a Super Bowl team like they were with Aaron Rodgers for a number of years, but they can at least contend for those playoffs. So offensive line and receivers is really what I think the Packers need to be working on. So to be 10th on this kind of list, it's not terrible because that is really interchangeable. Really, in my eyes, these these back halves, they're interchangeable. So the Packers might not even be there next week, you know, just for sitting idle and doing nothing. <laughs> we'll wait and see on that one. But uh, number nine, I got to go to the commanders on this one. Two and three, they lose to the Bears 40 to 20. It's not just that they lost to the Bears, but they lost ugly, ugly. And you'd think with Ron Rivera, he'd be able to build a good defense because I do like what Sam Howell has done. He just doesn't have a good offensive line behind him right now. He's the most sacked quarterback in football. And I do sort of like what the weapons have there. But defensively, they just stink. They are the second worst defense in terms of points per game. You know who's only behind them right now? Denver. Denver, a team who gave up 70 points. Outside of them, Washington is the worst defense out there. They've let up 32 a game. And really, they might even go further down this list or higher in this list, whichever way you want to look at it, if they do the same thing against the Falcons. Because the Falcons, again, to me, kind of a fraud 3-2 and two team. But still, if you're letting up the same thing and you play the same way as you did against Chicago with the Falcons, whoo, Ron Rivera, look out for your job because you might be in trouble on that one. Uh, number eight, this might be a little bit controversial because you think they might be a little bit higher. But I am putting the Minnesota Vikings at number eight. Yes, they're one and four, but keep in mind they lost to the Chiefs. Uh, now you've also got Justin Jefferson heading to the IR with a hamstring injury, and they've even said themselves, you know, <laughs> basically the quote was, we're not going to rush Justin Jefferson back, and we'll only play him until he's 100%. Really? That sounds a lot like tank talk to me. If you're one and four, that sounds a whole heck of a lot like tanking. Um, but really, for me, it's, it's Kirk Cousins. I say it over and over when I'm talking about Minnesota. Kirk Cousins just cannot make the big plays when they need it. I mean, yes, these are great numbers when I read them off to you. 29 of 47, 284 yards and two touchdowns. That's great. Second most pass yards, tremendous. Most touchdown passes in the league, of course. But let's talk about those two-minute drives when they need to put the game away. If they're up by one score and they need to put the death nail on the opponent or if they need to come back like they uh, almost did against Kansas City. He can't do that. He just can't do that. And I don't know what it is, if it's something mentally or physically, but that is why the Vikings are struggling right now, is because Kirk Cousins can't make the big-time plays 
at the big time moments. Now, I will say I will officially put a death nail into their season if they lose next week to the Bears. I will put I, I will put them in a coffin. I will close the lid. I will lock it shut, hammer it in, and bury them six feet under for 2023 if they lose to the Bears because that would mean everything's falling and they need to sell everything. And I mean it, everything. But the fact that they still have this talent makes me put them at number eight and not anything uh, lower than that. Uh, number seven, I'm going to put the Jets at this one, two and three. I thought they got a really nice bounce back game. Keep in mind, this was this was a team on a three-game losing streak right now. And Zach Wilson has just looked awful, awful. But he went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes, and that gave him some confidence. And he even had some confidence with his teammates saying, like, you know, even though he was saying, it's my fault, it's my fault, his teammates were consoling him. Um, I'm still not buying into the fact that he's turned things around, um, but he's definitely looked a lot better. He's not, you know, crazy with the mistakes. I mean, 19 of 26 for 199 yards and a pick uh, and being sacked four times is still not great, but it's a step in the right direction. And it especially helps when your defense scores twice on uh, some fumble returns uh, for a score. Um, Also, you have the rushing attack where Brees Hall had 177 yards. 234 rushing. That's what you want when you have a quarterback who is either really young or really struggling. And that's what uh, Brees Hall and the entire rushing attack for New York did. Um, And like I said, defense was great, but this was against the Broncos, who we'll get to a little bit later. Another spoiler alert there. Um, That's why why the Jets are sitting there at number seven. Number six, though, I'm going to put the Cardinals on this one at one and four. They lose to a gimpy Joe Burrow. I... I mean, I still look at Burrow. He's still not 100%. And everyone's saying, oh, look out for the Bengals. They're back. They're back. They're back. Let's relax here. I mean, the Cardinals could have put them away, and they just they didn't do it. I mean, yes, they're a scrappy team, and they're kind of entertaining to watch when they're uh, knocking down the Cowboys, and they had the big lead against the Giants. I mean, the fact is, the stretch of the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Bengals in consecutive weeks it gets to you. It will get to you. Okay. You put all your energy. Uh, well, for, first you get blown out by uh, San Fran. You do. Um, you get blown out there. Then you play uh, the Cowboys. Actually, no. Other way around. When you beat the Cowboys, you put all your effort in that game. You're excited that you won. Then you get blown out for, by the 49ers. That's a stretch. And then one, uh, when you go to the Bengals and they do that to you, it shows me they're coming back down to earth. So I love Arizona. I love how scrappy they are. I love what Josh Dobbs has been doing for that team so far. But they just don't have the talent. They don't, at least right now, don't have the talent. Maybe in a couple of years, they'll start to really rebuild. Um, but as long as Kyler Murray's on that sidelines, Arizona is not going anywhere. Uh, getting into the top five, though, I'm going to put the Bears at number five right now. They got their first win of the year on Thursday night. I talked about that game, uh, talking about the commanders. They win that one 40 to 20. And it's really, I looked, I tried to pay attention more to Justin Fields because he really looked relaxed in that Thursday night game. And he had a tremendous game, tremendous. He, he did not make the same mistakes that we were seeing in the first four games of the year. 15 of 29, 282 yards, Four touchdowns. It also helps to have DJ Moore catch eight of those balls for 230 of those yards and having three touchdowns, which was what uh, Chicago hoped to get when they traded the first pick and got DJ Moore. But Justin Fields just looks more relaxed 
Um, and part of that could be the Washington defense. It could be the opponent, you know, not saying they're all of a sudden going to rattle off eight straight wins, but Justin Fields just looks more comfortable. Uh, he looked relaxing, looked more comfortable, and maybe he just needed to get that first one under his belt. Really, it is, because I don't think it was Justin Fields. Uh, ish- I mean, yes, it was. He was partly to blame for their start of 0-4, but it was more so on the coaches. It was more so on the coaches and what they've sort of put around him for an offensive line. That's sort of what I'm seeing uh, with Justin Fields. And I hate to say it, but even whatever opponent they have, I don't think Chicago's moving you know, out of the top 10 anytime soon. And neither is the number four team I put here, and that's the Broncos. Uh, 31 to 21, they lose to the Jets. I talked about every time I talk about Denver, I always say, oh, Sean Payton has not done a good job with this team. That's what it's been most of the year. Sunday, it was all on Russell Wilson, all on him. 20 of 31, 196 yards, two touchdowns and two fumbles. Okay, the Jets defense picked up two fumbles for a scoop and score. Uh, And you even saw it on the uh, sideline in the fourth quarter. Russell Wilson coming off again, an earful from Sean Payton. Now, that offense lost three of the fumbles. Two of them the Jets scored on. And I'm pretty sure the Denver defense is still the worst in the league uh, in terms of yards allowed, points per game. I mean, they're still, I'm still not over them giving up 70 to Miami. If you're giving up 70 to a football team, you're the worst defense in football. So that's what I really see with the Denver, uh, with Denver was that. Last Sunday was on Russell Wilson. It was the first time this year where Russell Wilson gets the blame uh, for why the Broncos lost. Now we're getting into the top three. This one, at least for me, had to do. I had to do a little bit of back and forth. But number three, I'm going to put the Giants here. The New York Football Giants sitting at one and four and lo- losing to the Dolphins, thirty-one to sixteen. Um, I see the potential. I see the potential in Daniel Jones. And similar to the Justin Fields situation, I'm not putting all of this on Daniel Jones because he at least has some athletic ability there. He's shown that he's able to scramble when he needs to. Um, But the fact is he doesn't have an offensive line. Okay. He's been sacked 28 times. And one of the ones on Sunday against the Dolphins, he had to leave because he had a neck injury. Um, He is the third leading rusher among quarterbacks, but he doesn't have any receiving weapons. I mean, the best one you have is Darren Waller, who basically looks like a shell of his uh, peak athleticism. And honestly, it's not going to get any better for the Giants because they got to go into Buffalo on Sunday night in prime time to play the Bills who are coming off a loss. So I feel bad for the Giants. I would take the Bills and the points on that one. (laughs) So there's really nothing more to be said about the New York Giants. Uh, Number two is the team we'll get into a little bit later, uh, but that's the Patriots. I mean, Let's just face it. At one and four, they've had 34 straight drives without a touchdown and 24 without scoring. Nothing more to be said there. Nothing more to be said. And you'd say, oh, there's a get right game coming up against the Raiders. Can't say that. Can't say that anymore with this Patriots team. So they're sitting at number two. And number one, I think it's obvious. Carolina Panthers, the only winless team right now in the NFL. And we all we all saw a struggling team coming. We saw a rebuilding team coming. I don't know if we expected this team to start 0-5, though, okay? So I see, again, similar to Daniel Jones, for Bryce Young, I see the potential because he's going to have his issues, but what he's done is not extremely concerning to me, okay? Against Detroit, against a really good team, he went 25-41, 247 yards, three touchdowns, but also two picks. And when you do the ratio now, Bryce Young has five touchdowns on the year, 
to four interceptions on a year. And keep in mind, he did miss one game. So really, Bryce has just not gotten the support uh, from his defensive side because Shaq Thompson was injured. He got out for the year, and the defense has been the seventh worst in terms of the run. And that's really, really what Carolina has been doing is they're trying to bring in these sort of veteran guys to sort of mend the rebuild. They know it's a rebuild, but they still want a lot of veterans. That's why you brought in Adam Thielen and you brought in uh, Miles Sanders to sort of help these young guys out. But honestly, I, I think you need to play the young guys because we all knew this was a rebuilding team. And the Panthers, un- until they win a game, at, at least in my eyes, until they win a game, they're going to be stuck in this number one spot as worst team in football right now in these bottom 10 power rankings. And I could even give you a spoiler that they're going to stay this way because I would be shocked if they go into Miami and knock off the 4-1 and one Dolphins. I would be very shocked of that. So there you go. Top 10, bottom 10 in the power rankings. I hope uh, you all enjoyed them. If not, always comment below. See what I'm missing. If some team should go where rankings any of that just follow all our pages and wherever you get this podcast uh but coming up next we shift from football to baseball and there's nothing more exciting than baseball in october that's right we'll talk playoffs right after this There is nothing better than the playoffs. And now the baseball playoffs are getting deep and deep into their divisional series. Let's look at what has gone on. Because we talked last week with the one and only Cooper Leonard. He gave his predictions. And some of those predictions have worked. Some of them have not. He picked, or at least maybe he was rooting for as well. I have to double check with Coop on that. But he thought it was going to be Rays and Blue Jays. Not the case. Thought it was going to be Phillies and Diamondbacks getting through the wild card round. So a 50% success rate. Good job, Coop. Uh, but before we get into the LDS, I want to look back at that wild card round and really look at the teams who got knocked out. And let's be honest, I think for me, the big takeaway is Tampa once again looking helpless uh in the playoffs. You know, this this is becoming a theme. It's becoming just a rotation you know it's like it's like the the daylight savings time you do it once every year twice every year um with tampa they get these high expectations and then they just cannot capitalize it in the two games that they played against texas they were outscored 11 to 1 they made five errors in a game and they struck out 18 times now keep in mind these five errors four of them were in one game and this was a team with the ninth best feeling percentage in baseball in the regular season, okay? And the offense was just completely lackluster, totally lackluster for a team that had the third best batting average and were sixth in home runs. See, this is why when they started 13-0 and and they got off to that hot start, no one bought in. No one said, oh, mark it down. Tampa's heading to the World Series. You can't do that because they do this every single year. They start off hot and then they just go down in the toilet. You know, they could have they could have had a better record than the Braves or the Dodgers or the Orioles, but no one would have picked them to win the World Series because they choke it away every single time. So honestly, Tampa just continues to waste all these great opportunities that they have. When you have a young Orioles team, yes, they look great, but you had years to win it all. The Yankees and the Red Sox, who were both in down years, 
You could have leapfrogged over them. You had a better roster than the Blue Jays, and you still couldn't get it done. You just could not get it done. And not only that, but when you have a playoff, when you're hosting a playoff series and only 19,000 show up, if it's not a full stadium, what the heck kind of franchise are you? I understand you're building a new stadium or whatever, but still, I just don't get it. No one buys into the Rams. No one buys into the Rays, not even their own fans, because that place should have been sold out, and maybe it could have given them an advantage. We don't know. We'll never know. But Tampa just, again, blew their chance to win a World Series for a franchise that probably could use it. They probably could have used it. I kind of see it the same way with the Blue Jays, not as strongly uh, losing the two games with the Twins. You know, you can see how passionate uh, I am for Tampa. But Blue Jays are kind of the same story. They have the roster, but they can just never get it done. And it was, again, a lackluster offense when you have a guys like uh, Bichette, Springer, Guerrero, all these guys. You have this lineup, and you can barely put, what, four runs total up there against Minnesota, and Minnesota just runs away with it. That it's Same story for Toronto. Same story. Uh, Diamondbacks, though, a little bit, I shouldn't say totally surprising. You know, I mentioned it before the playoffs even began, and when I was talking with Coop a little bit, was that Arizona came out of nowhere. They were just kind of like a middling team, and then all of a sudden, you know, bam, they came out of nowhere. Similar to the Sox in 21, where they started really good, they came back down to earth, but still made the playoffs. That's sort of what I saw with Arizona. I will say what helps them was being in a competitive AL West, whereas you look at the Brewers, there's no competition there. I mean, no one was challenging Milwaukee for the division, so they hadn't had any competitive baseball play in a little bit of time. And they've got some good teams, but just not great teams. So I think the fact that the D-backs were in the AL West and had to play multiple times, the Giants and the Padres and the Dodgers, all those teams, I think really worked to their advantage. And that's how they were able to use those rallies and uh, take down Milwaukee. And then just really short on the Phillies and Marlins, I predicted Philly in a sweep anyway. I thought... They would have taken them down two games, and they did. It was a little bit close, um, but just a really young Marlins team, I thought, just wasn't ready for that stage just yet. I, d- I didn't think that they were ready for that stage. Um, but now as we move to the LDS, I will say my expectations were right over my head. I did not expect that the Texas Rangers would have a 2 nothing lead uh, over the Orioles so far as the series will shift to Texas. Um, what I would say at least looking first at the Baltimore side of things, I kind of put this on a, this is a young team that hasn't had exposure to this big time moment. Okay. And they just don't have enough playoff experience. Okay. Exhibit a is looking at the game two starter, Grayson Rodriguez in that 11, eight win for Texas. He's a 23 year old rookie getting the start uh, in maybe the biggest game of the season and maybe of his whole baseball playing career going from youths to now. He only went an inning and two thirds. He gave up five earned runs, six hits and four walks. That's why you sort of need a little bit of that veteran presence. That's why when they say you need a good mix of veteran and rookies, this is a very young team. They're a good team, but they just don't have the playoff exposure just yet. Now, they're two games in. They got, you know, basically they got a, they had a gut check at home. 
If they come back, they win the games in Texas, they force it to a game five and they win that game, then I would say, okay, this team is used to the playoffs now. But the fact is, when you have a really young team like a Gunnar Henderson, like a Ryan Mountcastle, like a Cedric Mullins, uh, who have never, and I mean it, uh, Adley Rutschman as well, guys who had never seen the playoff stage before, all of them, even their manager, Brandon Hyde, was a, a first-time manager um, when he was initially hired, and he stayed through the rebuilding process. These guys don't have that exposure yet. That Whereas with the Rangers, they've got a bunch of guys like Marcus Semien and Corey Seager uh, and Nathan Evaldi uh, and all these pitchers, Jordan Montgomery. They have these pitchers who have the experience. Um, and just shifting over to Texas, they're just a really streaky team. You know, it, it's really hard to gauge on them because they've they started really well, then they struggled, then they got hot to end the year and stay in the playoffs. Now they're they continue to be on the hot streak as they take the two with Tampa, then they take the first two here with Baltimore. Um, really for me, it comes down to that starting pitching that Texas have. Even even without Max Scherzer, it's been a great starting uh pitching. And I think with Scherzer out, Nathan Evaldi is the perfect starter to lead the charge. You gotta keep in mind. This is one of those players that was born for uh, the postseason. So far in his postseason career, 12 games. Keep that in mind. He's 5-3 and three with a 2-9-0 ERA. He's only walked eight batters, and he struck out 49 guys. That's impressive. Extremely impressive. You also got to keep in mind the stages that he's been on. You know, look back to the eight, 2018 World Series with the Red Sox. He comes out of the bullpen. He throws, I think, seven innings or so. Uh, and then he comes out uh, either the next day or the the game after that. Uh, you look at 2021. He pitched in the wild card game against the Yankees for the Sox. Uh, he helped with some wins against the Rays and against the Astros. So this is a guy who's used to the stage. I think he's the perfect guy for Texas to have. And honestly, with the advantage that they have, I would probably predict Texas now to uh, win this series. I know initially I picked Baltimore and Coop had picked Baltimore to not just go to the ALCS, but go to the World Series as well. Um, but the way it stands right now, the fact they got those first two games in Baltimore, I think is huge and puts Texas in the driver's seat where now they have basically a two-game cushion. Because if they get to game five in Baltimore, I think Baltimore is just a team that rides on energy and they'll take that game. So they have to win the series at home. They got to do it in either game three or game four. Because if it gets to a game five, give it to Baltimore. The entire way. Um, the other series in the ALDS, the Twins and Astros, surprisingly, uh, the one of only <laughs> out of the four series, two are at two and zero, oh, and two are at one and one. This is one of them. Twins and Astros currently tied at one to one, and so far, you know, similar to Texas, it's all about the starting pitching. I mean, look what's happened uh, with Justin Verlander in the game one victory for the Astros. He throws six shutout innings, four hits, and six strikeouts. Game two, where Minnesota wins. Pablo Lopez, seven shutout innings, six hits, and seven strikeouts. So really, it's just been the starter has been able, whichever starter goes the longer, they win that game, obviously. I mean, the concern, though, at least for Houston side of things, is that Verlander did give up three walks as well. And this is a 40-year-old who, again, you're putting all your eggs into his basket. I mean, this is a 40-year-old. Yes, he has the postseason experience. Yes, he's done it with Houston. But still, he did not look that good 
uh, again uh, when he was playing with the Mets. And all of a sudden, he can turn a switch and go to Houston. He's still going to have those hiccups. So really, the Astros' offense has got to bail him out. I think the Game 3 starter is going to be absolutely huge. You have Christian Javier for Houston. You have Sonny Gray for Minnesota. I think these two are pretty much on the same level. I would give the edge to Sonny Gray because he does have a 2.79 ERA, and he doesn't have the offense to bail him out just like uh, Christian Javier did with his record of 10-5, and five, but with a 4.56 ERA. For Minnesota, though, I got to say, I did not – you know, do any kind of studying about their lineup as well. I didn't go deep diving into this, but I got to tell you, Royce Lewis is making his a name for himself. I mean, first career postseason at bats, uh, two home runs. First two, bang, both out of the park against Toronto. Now in his first four postseason games in total, he's hitting 267. He's got three home runs, four RBIs, three walks, and he struck out five times. So, Lewis, I think he needs to have a good game because he's sort of that engine that makes him go. But really, the spark that puts Minnesota over the edge is Carlos Correa. The former Astro has rediscovered what made him so successful in the playoffs during his time against his former team. He's so far hitting 533 in the postseason. 533. And yes, he only has three RBIs, but at least getting on base is huge. For that lineup, it's absolutely huge because they sort of complement each other. So I think those two have been the keys for Minnesota. And if those two struggle, then Minnesota struggles entirely. I would still probably favor the Astros. I expect this to go five. I do expect this one to go five. And I think the Astros are going to hang on and they're going to win the series. Uh, Shifting over to the National League, though, I got to tell you, maybe the most entertaining series has to be Braves and Phillies. And I mean, what else are you going to get from a couple of division rivals? I mean, that's basically what it is, is, you know, everyone was thinking Atlanta was going to steamroll whoever they play, but you got to keep in mind, this is a division foe. Okay. It always makes it entertaining and tricky. You could put um, the, you know, you could put the Orioles and the Blue Jays. You could put, the Twins and the White Sox, just to give examples. I mean, even no matter what you think about projection-wise, it's still you're still going to have to fight for every single inch. And the Braves won the season series 8-5, to five, okay? Normal series, the Braves have blown everybody out. How about the Phillies, though? The Phillies are a really, really good team. And Atlanta saved their season uh, on Monday to tie the Phillies series one-to-one. I mean, you have Austin Riley, 3-2 count with two outs in the eighth. Boom, go-ahead, two-run home run. And then in the following inning, in the ninth, you got Michael Harris stretching out and making the play. He makes the catch. Bryce Harper has to run all the way from second to get back to first. The cutoff throw goes, uh, it goes over the head of everybody, but the quick throw over to first, boom, double play, game over, series tied at one-to-one. I mean, what an entertaining finish that was. And that, if Atlanta can win it all, everyone will look at that play, that Michael Harris catch and throw, and how they picked off Bryce Harper. That's going to be the play that saved Atlanta's season. Um, On Philly's side, their starting pitching has been, at least to me, surprisingly strong. I mean, Zach Wheeler striking out 10 Atlanta Braves through six in the third? Come on. 
Um, I mean, yes, his bullpen did blow it, obviously. Um, but, I mean, you also have a bullpen. That's another thing. There was a bullpen game in game one, and Philly won that game. They shut out Atlanta with a bullpen. That blows my mind. And Zach Wheeler, with those 10Ks, you take away the bullpen struggling against the Braves, um, you might see a 2 nothing lead. Now you have Aaron Nola on the mound, which, I mean, I do have confidence in. But you got to keep in mind, this was an Atlanta team who, at least in my eyes, hadn't played significant baseball in more than a month, okay? Really what they were trying to do was once they locked up uh, home field throughout the playoffs, they had nothing more to play for. So really they haven't had any, you know, competitive, have to grind it out, win it all games. Now they've kind of got a little bit of, uh, momentum, a little bit of mojo, but come on, where is Atlanta's offense? That was a revelation all series long. Three names I'm looking at: Ronald Acuna, the guy who's going to be the NL MVP, 0 for five; Ozzy Albies, one for seven; Marcelo Zuna, 0 for six. Where is where are all those guys? I mean, really, more so, not really about Ozuna and Albies, but Acuna. He's the engine, you know, similar similar to what I just talked about with uh, Correa and Minnesota. Ronald Acuna needs to get going or they're not going to win this series. Atlanta's not going to win because Acuna from that leadoff spot gets everything going, okay? Whether it be a double or a homer, he gets on single and he steals second. I mean, this is a 40-70 guy, keep in mind. And we haven't seen any of the 40 or any of the 70 in these first two games. He needs to get going. And this series is so tight that I think whoever wins game three is going to win this series. You could probably count on that. Uh, at least for me. So game three is pivotal. Um, but the last series, though, in the NLDS, Dodgers and D-backs. I mean, uh, I wanted to pick the Dodgers so dang bad. And I, I did pick them. And I want to believe in them. But again, they turn into a postseason choke artist. And really, this all goes back to Clayton Kershaw. Because let's, let's put it like this. Everyone says, oh, he's an all-time pitcher multiple Cy Youngs, okay? But what has he done in the postseason? He's been terrible in his career. He's 13-13 and 13 with a 4-4-9 ERA. In game one, at home against Arizona, he didn't even get out of the first inning. He only went an inning and a third, and he gave up six earned on six hits. And this has been the problem for the Dodgers all season long, was their starting pitching. They worked so hard to get Clayton Kershaw healthy and ready for the postseason. But then when they get to the postseason, he can't do anything about it. Now you have other guys who really can't pick up the slack. I mean, they better hope that Lance Lynn can pick up the slack because he's been great since he came over in a trade. So they better hope that Lance Lynn can right the ship and keep their season alive. Um, because again, the Dodgers are just doing what the Dodgers have done. I mean, even the most... The biggest critics will look at 2020, the COVID year, the fact that no one was in the stands, and they'll write that one off. I personally don't, but the Dodgers just continue to be postseason choke artists. That's all it is. And honestly, I think it's going to happen again. I think Arizona is going to win because you have guys like Corbin Carroll and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. making names for themselves. Well, you got other veterans like Tommy Pham and Evan Longoria. Remember him? They remind everyone of who they are and the success that they have had recently so again it's just it's more about the Dodgers the fact that they continue to choke away these opportunities and that they're only going to have one title to their name 
in the 21st century when they probably could have a couple more with the roster and the talent that they have. So that's where I am with, uh, with LA. I think they're going to get bounced out. I would probably pick Atlanta to come back and win their series. Uh, I picked Texas and I picked Houston. So that's what I think is going to happen uh, once we get into the league championship series, which we'll be getting started next week. But up next, we go from the ending of a season to the beginning of one. We'll give you a pre brief preview of the NHL regular season, which gets started this week. Put away the cleats and we get on our skates as we'll talk about the NHL. Their season gets underway as we're recording. There's a triple header tonight. Most of the teams will start tomorrow as well. And I'll be not brief about it, but definitely shorter uh, than our usual segment time because we're hoping maybe to have a special guest uh, next week on the show. You know, we're still working on that, but I cannot confirm it just yet. Um, Brand new season starts tonight and uh, just really... The favorite should be the Golden Knights. I mean, let, let's face it. This has been the best start to an expansion franchise in sports history. History. Because first year, they make the Stanley Cup. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I haven't stat checked it or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure they've made the playoffs every single year since they've been around. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, they came alive in 2017. Uh, 2017-18 was their first team in, uh, season. And I'm pretty sure each year they've made uh, the playoffs. And not only that, but they're returning their whole roster. You know, Jack Eichel reminded everyone of how good he was. Of course, he kind of he had the, uh, the back injury that sort of sidelined him, but he had a full uh, 82 last year. Um, you know, you got Theodore. You also have Bruce Cassidy as a coach. Um, I, I really, really think that the Knights should be the favorites. They really should, because they're pretty much whole roster is uh back on the back on the ice. Um, I will say though, they need to get a challenge, and not necessarily on their part, but this is on the Oilers' part because they will just continue to be critiqued and they'll have pressure on them until they win. Because let's face it, they have the best player in hockey right now maybe the best player in the last 20 years or so in uh, Connor McDavid. I mean, McDavid has gotten Wayne Gretzky comparisons so much, but there's a difference between him and the great one who wore number 99. Is the great one actually has a cup. He actually has a championship. Connor McDavid does not have that at all. And you just wonder that when you have McDavid and you have Leon Dreisaitl with these guys, how do they keep failing? How do they just continue to fail over and over and over. I mean, I can't tell you specifically what it is, but I can tell you that if you have Connor McDavid out there, he shouldn't be the big issue right now. How are you supporting him? That's what I see with Edmonton, is that Connor McDavid needs to break through now. He needs to break through now. Otherwise, he'll probably go the rest of his career uh, without winning unless he personally decides to say, I'm getting out of Edmonton. I'm getting to a winning franchise like uh, Boston or Tampa or the New York Rangers or even the Golden Knights, you know, just throwing out a couple names out there. But Edmonton, 
has gotten him to the playoffs every single time, but they have not won. They have not broken through. They haven't even gotten, I believe, to a conference finals since McTavid has been there. So that's what I'm seeing with, with Edmonton, the fact that they just continue to let down Connor McDavid. And I think this year is sort of the beginning of, okay, if Edmonton doesn't make the Stanley Cup again, where does Connor McDavid go? Does he decide that he wants to get a trade request or be released from his contract? I don't know. I don't know that or how uh, McDavid will go about this. But at least if it was me, I would give I would put all the pressure on this year and then maybe on next year, depending on how this year goes. You know, if they miss the playoffs, then I'm saying I'm out. But if they make the playoffs, but they get bounced early, I would give them an ultimatum about next year being like, hey, if we don't win it all next year, if you don't give me the right pieces, then I'm out of here. So that's what I see with McDavid. Because you can't be one of the you can't be the best player in hockey and not have any hardware to show for it. You can't have any of it. Not at all. Um, they will get a challenge, though, in the Western Conference. You have the Colorado Avalanche, who uh, did win in 22, and maybe if they were a little bit healthier, they could have won in 2023. Uh, no Gabriel Landeskog this year. That That's big. Um, you know, you still have uh, McKinnon. You still have maybe the best defenseman uh, in Kale McCarr. Um, you also have Miko Rantanen. They're still around. Um, it, it really comes down to the health, uh, It really, for me. How healthy are they going to be? Because Colorado has been a scoring machine. They've been a scoring machine. And because they had a bunch of injuries um, during their playoff run, they fell to the Kraken. They fell to Seattle. Um, So really, for me, it comes down to how many pieces do they have and are they healthy? That's that's one of the other things I'm looking at. One other thing that I want to look at before we wrap up is really the Connor Bedard hype. I mean, I'll probably talk to... Um, whoever I bring on as a special guest, but there is a ton of hype in the hockey world about Connor Bedard. It's basically, he's been given the same hype as Victor Wembanyama. Keep in mind that like for over a year, they're like, oh, he's the next big thing. He's the next big thing. He gets drafted number one by the Blackhawks. I mean, Chicago does have a way to go, but I mean, to see that number 98 now uh, in the pros, there is a lot of hype with it. There's a lot of hype with him, and I don't know if he's going to come through on that hype, but I just know it might be way too early to talk about how this guy is going to turn this franchise around so fast. Um, I I can't see it. I can't see it, at least not this year. It's going to take a long time for Chicago because they basically just got rid of their entire championship core when they said Jonathan Taves uh, is not going to be re-signed. They, they just basically punted on that one. So, uh, it's going to it's gonna take some time for Chicago. Maybe Connor Bedard is the lead guy for that. I don't know. But at least for the hype, that's a lot. That's a lot of hype to be given for this guy who's basically been the talk of the hockey world for the last two or three years or so. I don't know. But I'm just really looking forward to the NHL season because I think it's sort of like a changing of the guard. You know, we've had a couple of players come and go, a couple of guys retire. Um, I really want to see what happens this year. You know, maybe it's a, a repeat champion or a new champion. We'll never know. That's why they got to play the games uh, on the ice. But uh, coming up next, the Bruins are one of those teams taking the ice, and we do have to give them a little bit of a preview as we get into our Let's Get Local segment.
This is our city. For all you Boston fans of this podcast, this is the segment that you want. It's our Let's Get Local segment. I teased the Bruins at the end of our last segment. We'll get to them in a little bit, but let's just get the negative stuff out of here. The terrible, no good, rotten New England Patriots right now at 34 to nothing is the worst home loss in franchise history to the New Orleans Saints. That's right. They backed up their dreadful performance against the Cowboys with another dreadful performance. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to re- reference a lot of what me and uh, Andy Hart had talked about during the game. Um, one of the things we talked about is the roster that they have. Basically, what the roster is, is all complementary pieces and no standout talent. There's no, there's no, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson. There's no uh, Patrick Mahomes. There's no TJ Watt. There's no really athletes, I guess, on this one. All the talent that they had is now hurt. Matthew Judon gone for the year. Christian Gonzalez gone for the year. DeMario Douglas hit with a con- hit with a concussion. So with the pieces that they have, I mean, they have no speed, no speed at all. None on offense, none on defense. And you know, they couldn't even keep up with what the Saints were bringing out with uh, Taysom Hill. I mean, imagine in Miami, imagine this game now in a couple of weeks against Miami with what they have. I mean, the fact that they were in the game defensively was because Matthew Judon was able to disrupt the line and Christian Gonzalez was able to keep Tyree Kill in check. Now they don't have any of that, okay? And now all that speed and athleticism, gone. Out of here. They just have football guys. They don't have above average football players. And why is that an issue? Because the guy who constructed the roster didn't see any issue with who they signed. And the big picture question about the future is once again brought up, and it even got a little bit louder. The fact that Bill Belichick's time uh, is getting closer and closer with each terrible loss, and the fact that he just continues to back it up with, we're just going to start all over. I mean, start all over five weeks into the NFL season? you got to be kidding me, right? The fact that he got rid of Mac Jones's favorite wide receiver in Jacoby Myers for a guy who's now over the hill and is dealing with an injury, had a knee injury. Now he's got a concussion in Juju Smith-Schuster. And the fact that he doesn't address the offensive line, he thinks he can just plug and play certain guys. It's not, it's not good. Belichick, the GM, has ruined Belichick, the coach. Because even... A year or two when Tom after Tom Brady left. Everyone thought, oh, Bill Belichick, give him the benefit of the doubt. Six Super Bowls. Uh, da, 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 da. All this kind of stuff. Now with every single loss, he's hurting his resume. He's tarnishing his legacy. Now you got people actually saying, oh, I think Andy Reid's going to pass him as best coach now of all time uh, once the time goes. Because let's face it, this guy cannot construct a roster anymore. Okay? And the decisions that he's making are really, really bad decisions. The fact that he is benching one of the few athletes that they have in Demario Douglas after a fumble, I mean, yes, you'd bench him for a game or, like, the rest of that game, and then you bring him back the next one, okay? His play style doesn't fit with where the NFL is right now. He has yet to, this 
One of our callers said it on the Six Rings postgame show this past Sunday. Bill Belichick's lack to evolve with the with the game of football is hurting him. It's really, really hurting him. He's looking for big, physical football players. No, you need athletes now. You need above-average athletes with much more than skill and football knowledge. And the same thing goes on the quarterback side for Mac Jones. I was a big Mac Jones fan as long as I could. But Sunday was the death nail for me. Mac Jones is not the long-term answer. I mean, even if you give him the offensive weapons of uh, a Miami or a San Francisco, if you give him even a semblance of a better offensive line, if you give him two better guards or someone who actually puts in effort on like Trent Brown, I think he's still going to struggle because he just panics. He panics. He doesn't have the arm strength. I mean, he's got four pick sixes now in only three plus years of playing in the NFL. And really what me and Andy talked about was big picture with Mac Jones was that if he got benched, that was going to be pulling the final plug. But really, you don't have any other options. You saw it when Bailey Zappi came in. He's not that better of an option. You saw it in the preseason. He's not a better option. So what you have with Mac Jones is what you get. And maybe he can turn things around, but he's still not your long-term guy. He's not the one to do it. Bill Belichick, honestly, if it were me, if I were Robert Kraft, I would let this thing play out the rest of the year and then say, goodbye, Bill. Thank you for all your service. I don't care if we're that many wins away uh, from breaking Don Shula's record because going into the season, uh, I believe it was 19 wins that Bill Belichick needed to pass Don Shula for most coaching wins all time. He's not going to get it. He's not going to get it now because with every, as I said, with every horrible loss that comes one after another, the leash is getting that much shorter. I mean, I said last week, he no longer has the benefit of the doubt because what he has done post-Tom Brady has been awful, absolutely awful. In 2021, when he said, "Go," when uh, Robert Kraft told him, go and spend, go get your pieces, he brought in the wrong pieces. Um, and then in 2022, afterward, uh, you you have him bring in his best friends and his mouthpieces uh, to run your offense for guys that have no experience in running offense. Now in 2023, you give Mac, or at least you try to give him everything he needs, except for an offensive line that can actually give him protection. Um, just It's all falling apart for New England. And honestly, I think uh, myself, Andy Hart and Nick Fitzy Stevens all said it on the post game show. We said it best. They're not going to tank, but they just suck. You know, that that's basically your phrasing. We're not trying to lose on purpose. We just suck. That's just how it is. That's how it is with this New England team. And, and now I guess everyone's saying, oh, this was what the Patriots were like before Tom Brady. You know, I guess this is what it is where they were just consistently bad, consistently bad. And honestly, I would not be surprised to see them get a top five pick because let's face it, you're not going to make any changes during the season. You're not going to cut cut uh, Mac Jones or trade for him. Mac doesn't have any value in that. And you're not going to fire Bill Belichick because, yes, while he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt, you still give him a little bit of a respect for a guy who's won six Super Bowls. You're not going to get rid of him midseason. This whole rebuilding, which has to happen, a whole new rebuild has to happen at the end of, of the regular season. Um, so basically we're just kind of like holding our breath, you know, 
trying to get rid of the awful smell that is the Patriots. Uh, we have to like hold our nose and hold our breath because this is only week five and there's still more games uh, to be played. Um, but let's try and get on a positive side, please. I, I wish we could. Let's talk about uh, the Bruins as they get their season started on Wednesday against the aforementioned Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Not only is it the first uh, game of the season, it's the first game of the 100th season uh, for the Boston Bruins. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think definitely there's going to be a lot of ceremonies honoring uh former Bruins you know uh recent and uh back in the old days you know maybe a Bobby Orr visit to the garden at one point uh maybe a jersey retirement for Patrice Bergeron um but on the ice though I think is really what's the talk because this is a whole new era a whole new era uh because Patrice Bergeron retired and then also David Krejci retired and you have Brad Marshawn as basically the last remaining piece of that 2011 team. Yes, you could count Milan Lucic, but he went away for a little bit. Now he's back. He's probably going to be like a third line, fourth line kind of guy. Um, so really on the ice, what I'm kind of looking at is that they don't have the depth that they had uh, last year. You know, Bergeron's gone. Bertuzzi is gone. Hathaway's gone. Orloff is gone. So it's going to have to be all up to the kids, really. I mean, we know we know where the scoring is going to come from. We know that David Pasternak is going to put the puck in the net probably the most times out of anyone on the Bruins. We know Brad Marchand is going to rack up the points. We know Charlie Coyle, uh, Charlie McAvoy on uh, the defensive end, and uh, DeBrusque as well. But I think everyone is talking about, and hopefully our guests next week, if we can get uh, them on, uh, Matthew Poitra. Matthew Poitra, yeah. He really flashed his potential, and he's only a 19-year-old center, and he's already made uh, the opening day roster. He's made, uh, you know, I don't know how much he's going to play, but I'm just really curious to see how these young guys do because it's going to have to be the young guys uh, who step up, guys like Trent Frederick uh, and um, just guys that they've brought up uh, from Providence over the years. You know, it's no longer relying on the old championship core. Uh, to get things done, because that's all gone. The the core you have left is wearing number 63 and is the new captain uh, for the Boston Bruins. And we'll probably get more into it next week, but that's just the initial thing of what I'm looking at uh, for the Boston Bruins. Um, but then really quickly, just to wrap things up, the Celtics started their preseason. They had their first two games. And I got to tell you, I'm I'm excited. I am excited to see the that Celtics team. Uh, watching what they did against Philadelphia, I understand it's the preseason and not to get too hyped in it, but Christoph's Porzingis looks like a great fit. Looks like he's moving well, and he's not really that affected by his plantar fasciitis. Then you also had the move to bring in Drew Holiday off the bench. He looked like he was really moving the ball uh, really well. Then you have Peyton Pritchard, who just signed to a contract extension. I think he's got, he's a guy that plays on confidence. I think he's going to have a great year uh, with the minutes that he's given, you know, being the, basically the third or fourth guard, I think on the depth chart behind uh, Drew Holiday and Derek White. Um, and, you know, I, I saw Jordan Walsh. I saw Speedy Mialuk, I, I O'Shea Brissett. I think this is still a good team. This is still a good team, and, you know, I'm, I'm putting faith into them, but we'll probably get more into the Celtics once they get the regular season underway. But I would just tell you from the first couple of games in the preseason that I've seen, 
this team looks really good. And not only that, but Joe Missoula looks more relaxed. Do you remember uh, in his press conferences, most of the time he was so uptight and he was only giving short answers. He was like, no, 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 defense, defense or whatever. But in watching some of his press conferences, at least during training camp and then after the games for the preseason, he looks a lot more relaxed. I think because, yeah, guys in ownership like Wick and then Brad Stevens and now even some of the players are sort of giving him that confidence boost. You know, he didn't he didn't come into it blind, which is why he was maybe so tensed up. He actually had an offseason and a training camp uh, to get underway. So I think you're probably we're going to see some good things from the Celtics. Don't you worry. And maybe we can have a guest or two on that can help us with that. So uh, that's what's going on in the city of Boston. But teaser here for our LOL moment of the week. We got to stay in Boston because a well-known Boston star had a little bit of a mishap, which we got to get into. Now, like we always do to end our show, we got to go to our LOL moment of the week. And we're kind of blending two into one. We're sticking with Let's Get Local, but we're also doing our LOL moment because this week's moment is going to Jalen Brown for not starting the season off on a good note. Not because he got hurt or because he struggled, anything like that. Watch this video right here. Jalen Brown comes out of the gates, but his shorts are on backwards. That's right. You can see with the Nike symbol, which is supposed to be on the uh, right side, on his uh, right leg and supposed to be in front. He's got him on backwards. And honestly, I don't know how you miss that. <laughs> Those kind of, uh, I'm not sure how you miss putting your shorts on backwards. You know, sometimes you have like drawstrings or whatever. Um, you know, I, I know at least for basketball shorts, you have drawstrings you can uh, tie together. Well, the fact that he had an idea, he didn't have an idea of like, oh, maybe these drawstrings are in my backside. I don't know why. Um, but he decides to uh, he he played it out a little bit. He played until uh, he went back to the bench. He went back into the locker room, turned it around, and uh, he, he got him on the right way. But uh, I mean, luckily this was a preseason game. You know, it was the very first preseason game, the very first uh, game action where it wasn't uh, practice or against any of his teammates. And, uh, you know, a new contract, uh, almost $300 million, and he uh, couldn't afford to fi- find someone who could turn his shorts around. Uh, that was just, that just gave me a chuckle. I mean, and that wasn't the only thing that uh, he got involved in. You know, him and him going back and forth with Patrick Beverly, Beverly giving him the too small signal with, in a preseason game. I mean, that's uh, that was going to be the initial LOL moment uh, with Patrick Beverly just taking the preseason too far and, you know, being another irritant as if Philly didn't need any more with Joel Embiid and James Harden. But Jalen putting his shorts on backwards, I mean, that's a very rare moment that you see. I mean, sometimes you might see that with clothing where, like, uh, the name gets uh, misspelled or, like, we have a jersey rip, anything like that. I don't think I've ever seen uh, shorts get put on backwards in an NBA game. I don't think I've ever seen that at all. I think I do remember a couple of years ago, LeBron James, when he was with Cleveland wore a different kind of shorts, um, but not ever backwards, not backwards. So I think there's, there's always a first for everything when you're talking about sports. So Jalen Brown for not starting the preseason off on a high note and wearing your shorts 
to start the game against the 76ers backwards, you've gotten yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. And just like that, we are done with episode 89 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching us on YouTube where you can see the graphics of our top 10 and bottom 10 NFL power rankings. Make sure we have social media pages as well. You can follow me personally at Joe Braverman, at Joe Braverman PVP on uh, Brand X, formerly Twitter, still called Twitter. Uh, follow the podcast as well on Instagram and on Facebook. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in, and we will see you next time for episode 90 of Let Me Speak. Later. Later.